Good morning, Good morning campers. campers. Today's activities will include driving across the country in order to get to a pageant. Lunch today will be with spices. And to end the night, we will be holding a strawberry social and punching bigots. But the strawberry social! <laughs> so put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into Tu Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. To Wong Fu. I had to be Fu. careful there. I did, I did not know it off the top of my head. To Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Marishka Hargitay, Sarah. Marishka Hargitay, Sam. I am your camp counselor, Sam, an ex-pro wrestler in training, and finally able to use my drag credentials for this property we're doing today. I thought you were going to say for good. <laughs> uh, I'm camp counselor, Sarah. No, I'm a drag queen. And we're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. So It feels like it's all been building to this. It kind of has in some way. There's a few properties that we have on the list that are definitely like, oh, these are going to be tent pole queer moments in history that you and I need to cover. Because let's face it, the best things are queer. <laughs> and I don't think uh, either of us actually planned it this way to have two RuPaul projects in a row for Pride Month, but that's just the way it worked out. No, I definitely think, um, well, for me, the RuPaul of the previous thing was a surprise, and for you, the RuPaul of this was a surprise. It was also a surprise for me in But I'm a Cheerleader. I did not remember I had seen RuPaul in that. <laughs> well, that's perfect. That's exactly how you want. So, campers, welcome to Pride Month, week two. And now we're doing a choice of mine. Last week was all about lesbianism and conversion therapy and cheerleaders. And this week, it's all about drag queens. Uh, a much more cheerful topic. An important topic. A modern topic. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're watching a movie that, um... Uh, no, you... What, what's your background with Tu Wong Fu? Um, so my background is I had never seen it, uh... I also, I only learned this today, it is not actually a remake of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. I no. thought, I thought it was. No, absolutely not. It, it's just amazing circumstance that these two tentpole drag queen films were made within a year of each other and across the globe from each other. And close enough in topic that you could say, yeah, this seems like a remake of the other. There are for sure threads between the two of them that we can definitely talk about. Um, but I, I come to praise uh, Julie Newmar, not to bury it. Um, 
So I don't want to co- cover too much ground about Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. But yeah, I'd seen neither of these. And they were the sort of movies that people would go, Sarah, you've never seen either of those? And I'd go, I know, I know. It's not in character for me. <laughs> Uh, and I always had it as I'll get around to them someday. So I was really glad to have this opportunity. How about you? Did you watch this when you were a very small child and go, oh, no, I sure hope this doesn't awaken anything in me. <laughs> uh, I I did watch this when I was about. I Hold on, because it was in Dubai when I saw it. So I would have been 15, 16. Mm hmm. And it was just in this giant stack of DVDs because uh, over in Dubai, you can get bootleg DVDs real fucking cheap. And so we just had all of these movies, dozens upon mm-hmm. dozens of movies, because, again, dirt cheap. And eventually, you know, I've worked my way through a whole bunch of better known things. And I saw this one. I was just like... Uh, they look like they're having a fun time, and that's a cool title, kind of, and I put it in, and it was that initial, not disgust, I definitely didn't feel disgust, but uh, there was a hesitancy on my part watching it, where mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, these are men dressed as women, and I'd never encountered that before, other than, like, in a pantomime. Mm-hmm. And just going through the film getting to the end of it i was like well that that was a journey and i guess that was fun but it didn't really leave a big impression on it and it wasn't until much Mm -hmm. later when i was exploring myself more and opening myself up to different things i don't know if it was pre or post uh coming out but i definitely saw it again Mm -hmm. and i went oh i get this now And ever since then, watching it again and again, I'm just like, I get the lived experience. I am I am part of this world now. And I'm not an outsider looking in anymore. I am an insider going, "Mm -hmm, that is exactly how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And it's I, I will say it's definitely a sort of fantasy version of the gay experience. Mm hmm. Uh, A, you don't wear drag all the goddamn time. <laughs> We're going to get to this later, but is it drag for some char- for some of these characters, or is it their gender experience? Uh, I think the movie is just choosing to leave the drag queens as drag queens throughout, but that's not to say if somebody comes away from this film feeling a gender experience... Uh, that's that's an entirely valid thing, right? Your your experience mm-hmm. with that property is always your own, and nobody can take that away from you. But I think mm-hmm. Tu Wong Fu is definitely supposed to be a movie about drag queens having drag queen experiences, but in a fantastical world where you don't see the ugly business of them getting out of drag at any point. And you don't hear <laughs> oh, about... Oh, that ugly business. You're, ta- you're not talking about homophobia or transphobia. You're talking about taking the tape off. I, I'm talking about the wiping your face down, the like the <laughs> amount of makeup they wear, and the length that they wear it at. Their skin would have so many problems. 
I mean, there there is the, <laughs> the fantasy experience of a very limited amount of transphobia and homophobia being directed towards them. Mm-hmm. But I think those fantasy experiences are also important to have. We should have these magical ideals that we can watch. It's While it is important to have films about uh, the gay experience in terms of being attacked and negative things happening to us because that is the truth and that is the reality of many people in the world. It's also important that we put out movies like this that kind of eschew the homophobia of it. Uh, Yeah, same thing with last week where it ends with two teenagers like leaving their families and running away together and you're like, they haven't finished high school as far as I know. But in the movie's mind, this is a happily ever after, so you can just let it be a happily ever after. Yeah, we we have so many texts and and, and real life anecdotes of the horrors of the world being placed upon the LGBTQ community, and I think it's it's just as important to have these films, these texts, to talk about. You know what? Let's let's have the fantasy. Let's have our happily ever afters. Let's have a road trip movie where the worst thing that happens is that the car breaks down, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I think I've I've really come to love this film. It's it is such a joy to watch. You have just as much fun as the three lead drag queens do, and many of the other actors who show up in the film too. Yes. That's uh, the thing that I really came away with this from. This is this is a very happy movie. Mhm. And it's it's such a a positive outlook on life as well. Mm-hmm. Like I we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it, but it's I mean, if if anything, I would love Vita Boem to be my drag mother. Yes. <laughs> Uh, But before we get into the film, and before we get into the background for the film, I want to talk about my charity of choice for today's episode. So I'd like to talk about the Okra Project. What's that? So the Okra Project is a a grassroots mutual aid collective that provides support for black trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming individuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, because my, I, I tend to get that sort of um, anxiety of choice. Uh, analysis mm-hmm. paralysis is what my friends would call it sometimes. Yeah. Of, with, with charities where I used to be very anxious giving to charity where I thought, if I give to one, why aren't I giving to another? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. because I think orphans and and abused animals and starving people, all these things are worthy of our time, effort, and money. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's not until more recently in, in my lived experience and with all the stuff that's happening in the world right now that my brain's kind of gone to, okay, who needs my help the most? Mm-hmm. And one of the most vulnerable populations is black, trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people. Mm-hmm. 
They are one of the most at-risk groups of people in the world. Uh, and I do mean in the world. Uh, the average life expectancy of a black trans woman in the United States is still astonishingly low. I believe it's it's close to 30 years old. I'm not 100% Jesus. sure on that. Which is, which is obscene. It's absolutely obscene. Yeah. Uh, because not just the fact that these are human beings, not just the fact that these are people who are loved and deserve love, but every right that we as a community, as the LGBTQ community, would not exist nowadays if it weren't for uh, black trans women. Because yes. they started the Stonewall riots, and it was a riot, people. Do not let anybody yeah. else tell you otherwise. Uh, they, they don't were... call it the Stonewall petition. The Stonewall yeah. politely asked. No, they, they stood up and demanded our rights. And the mm. least we can... <clears throat> Sorry, getting a little teary. Um... <laughs> The least we can do is stand up for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, this this is a charity that I have given to before, and I think it's an incredible it's an incredible charity. It began in 2018 in New York City, and its original mission was to combat food insecurity in the Black trans community. Mm-hmm. the The mission was to hire and train Black trans people as chefs. So that, oh, wow. that that way they could cook for themselves, but they could also cook for other black trans individuals of the community who mm-hmm. a, may not be able to go out and get that food for themselves for whatever reasons. Yeah. Uh, and so since 2018, its mission has actually changed somewhat, A, due to COVID. Uh, so yeah. the project pivoted towards providing groceries as well as mental health aid to those same individuals. The really good news is that this project became so big, it's now expanded to Philadelphia and New Jersey as well. Uh-huh. And as of March of this year, it is the first all-trans black femme-led nonprofit in the United States. God damn. Yeah, so they're they're out there. They're doing it. They're making the world a better place. And fun fact, in February of 2021, Nicole Byer won $45,500 on Celebrity Wheel of Fortune for the charity as well. So, Oh! Also, yeah. I love Nicole Byer. Like, this, this is just the icing on the cake. <laughs> who, who doesn't love Nicole Byer, first off? So right. shout out to <laughs> Nicole Byer. But it, it really is such an important thing that we lift up those of us who are being ignored just as much as any other thing because we're all in this together (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that is my that is my charity of choice for today it is the okra project and you can go to theokraproject.com and there'll be videos there's pictures there's ways to donate ways to help out so really let's let's do what we can guys i don't think i said it last week but all of the information for these charities will be in our show notes as well oh absolutely right 
So, now that we've gotten my heartfelt stuff out of the way, let's get into... Well, I'm just glad I didn't have to talk then because I was also tearing up. Um, thank you. I've, <laughs> I've never heard of the Okra Project. <laughs> uh, thank you for um, finding it. No, of course, of course. So, let's get into kind of the background for this film. We're going to finally talk about drag. Are you doing the history of drag? Uh, kind of. I'm doing specific parts of the history of drag. Well, yeah, a... like, like there's no way that you could do the whole thing, because that's basically just the history of gender. <laughs> I mean, if, if we want to start a whole second podcast called The History of Drag, let's do that. Uh, oh my and, god, please. And get Nicole Byer on. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway. Oh. The term drag appeared as print as early as 1870 in a Times article, which was titled, The Men in Women's Clothes. And in that article, it simply stated at one point, I know what in drag means. It is slang for going about in women's clothes. Yeah. <laughs> it's... Huh. It, so it, it really, had... it's not, it's not like it was uh, uh, a gay old time or anything. It's literally the exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, of course, as is wont to happen in ye olde times, it's not as inclusive as what drag has become since that point. So. Well, no. Root, yeah. The root of the word, on the other hand, is very uncertain. There are some people who believe that originally it was an acronym for dressed as a girl, D-R-A-G. Mm, okay. Problem is, backronyms are common and misleading. There are a whole lot of historical uh, like references that people have chosen. Oh, it must be an acronym. Like um, f the word fuck, right? Yeah, or posh. Yeah. Yeah, people who think that uh, fuck is fornication under consent of king, which is absolutely yeah, the made thing, up. The thing about backronyms is they always seem too too good to be true to me. Yeah, yeah. And this one is definitely too good to be true as well. Like, dressed as a girl. Um, mm -hmm. No, not, not quite there. It could be in reference to the sensation of a long gown dragging along the floor. You know, drag. Sure. That one also seems a bit, eh. The third one that I found, I think, has a lot more weight to it. It could be a reference to masquerade balls, which were often called grand rags. Oh. So grand rag, grand drag, drag, mm -hmm. right? Where in these masquerade balls, gender norms were regularly disposed of. Right? It's It was a perfectly natural thing at these grand balls. But, of course, there's no concrete conclusion that we have as of yet where this comes from. There's no clear origins on drag as a concept either, as most cultures worldwide feature performance or ritual where gender and the performance thereof is integral. Mm -hmm. So, like, we all know... Many of which that... we've lost through... <laughs> Uh, colonization 
Yeah, yeah. We, we, we all understand that back in the Shakespearean era, women weren't allowed to uh, be actors, so instead they would have men play women, and they would have mm. young men play, usually play the female lead, because they were the closest physically to being that kind of feminine that they're looking for. Right? They're, and they had voice... voices like little flutes. Exactly. Uh, and, you know, because women were banned from performing publicly. And that is why there are so many recurring plot points in Shakespeare's plays of men and women dressing in the opposite gender and the goofums that come from that. Hilarious 400 years later. Yes. <laughs> oh, the staying power of Shakespeare. I saw a production of, I forget which play it was exactly, but it's one of those of Shakespeare's plays where uh, one of the male actors got fully nude on stage and the girl dressed as a boy was staring at him. And it is one of the, I don't think I've ever heard an audience go that wild in my entire life. And this is an audience at a Shakespeare play. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's that's great. So uh, that law was actually rescinded in the time of Charles II due to the French custom at the time of allowing women to perform as well. So, you know, if the French are doing it, well, we can't be outdone by the French. Sure, women can act. Fine. Yeah. But nowhere near as good as men can. Uh, this there's still a tradition currently in English pantomime of the older female characters or the dames being portrayed by a very obvious man. Mm -hmm. It's arguable whether or not this counts as drag because some people do believe that drag is about the feminine illusion. Michael. Yeah. These are not trying to be fishy. No. And and uh, just as a heads up, we we also try not to use the term fishy anymore, either. Oh, okay. Yep, no, it's okay. It, Thank you it's for letting all, me know that. It's always a learning experience here on Is It Camp. Uh, so, even that, uh, even pantomimes have grown now, where now the young male lead, such as Pr Prince Charming, or dick whittington is played by a girl or young woman so we're we're evolving slowly we're getting in all kinds of different uh drag mm -hmm. the traditional kind of idea of drag in western culture continued up until the 20th century as a woman's place in society was always below that of a man and therefore in theater and performance and farce men performing as women was a joke, right? Or a plot point to trick other men in the course of the narrative. It was never about the expression of gender, but rather like, oh, ho, ho, isn't it naughty that so-and-so has fallen for Olivia, but it turns out Olivia is actually a man. ho. Oh. Exactly. There's a bit in Terry Pratchett uh, where he talks about uh, when a man is dressed as a woman, uh, narr narrative demands that 
he suddenly become the most ravishing woman in the entire area because it's very funny that way, no matter what the man actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, now, where people were choosing to dress in the clothing and styles of another gender, yes, there absolutely were people doing that. Uh, but this also becomes a question of historical transgenderism, where perhaps that person chose to live in that identity, uh, such as Dr. Barry, if you know the story of Dr. Barry. No, I was thinking of Anne Lister myself, but Dr. Barry isn't ringing any bells. Okay, so D- Dr. Barry was uh, a, a doctor from Ireland who essentially got drafted into, I think it's the British Army. I'm not 100% sure. But he went about the globe, you know, and he, he's actually one of the people that helped to make the Caesarean one of the safest, uh, like, miles safer than it had been before, essentially, right? Because <laughs> guess what? A whole lot of people died during childbirth back then. And then Dr. Barry came along and went, I've got this figured out. I'm going to make sure more babies and women survive childbirth with me figuring out how the cesarean works. Uh, never, never married, but had trysts and loves over the course of his life. And it wasn't until after his death, it was revealed that Dr. Barry was born a woman and Mm -hmm. chose to be a man for most of his life. And I'm using the pronoun his, because that was the identity he adopted. Uh, A lot of people believe that it is because he was a transgendered person who chose to live as a man and became a doctor and became a very good doctor. Uh, And this wasn't a a means of, oh, you know, I'll I'll trick the men into believing that I'm a man as well. And, you know, uh, on the side, I secretly want romance and stuff. No, 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 it wasn't any of that. It was a a person choosing to be the gender that they want to be. And that's yeah. vastly different from drag itself, which is the taking on of a gender identity for the performance of it. Mm-hmm. So quickly, we're going to go into ballroom culture. Do you know? This any- is Paris is burning, right? Yes. So do you know anything about ballroom culture? Um, I know Paris is burning, and I I haven't watched Pose, um, but outside of that and like Drag Race, that's about all I know. Okay, that's that's fine. It's a good start. So ballroom or ball culture, LGBTQ subculture that originated in 1920s New York. It was primarily begun by African American and Latin American members of the community. And it was an active act of defiance as well as a means of building community. So we've talked before in the Victor Victoria episode about the fact that there were laws prohibiting dressing in another perceived gender expression, right? Yeah, that was to loop back to Stonewall. That was one of the issues. You had to be wearing something like X number of garments that matched your government assigned gender. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, ballrooms became a safe space where people of all backgrounds and walks of life who were not welcome in high society balls, where it was okay for the rich to dress in non-conforming dress, could dress how they wanted to. How either 
uh, their preferred gender expression or through what they chose to perform as for that night. Right? Because I always thought of it as like kind of connected to club kids scene in that connection to like art and performance. Mm-hmm. But so what what came from this was that uh, in ballrooms, individuals or houses, which is uh, essentially a found family, walk, that's the term they use, walk, i.e. compete, against one another in a series of pre-chosen categories, all to get trophies, respect, uh, acknowledgement from the community at large. And I, again, it's, it's up to you whether you do it individually or as part of a house. Uh, houses will curate themselves. Individuals will just, I'm going to throw myself out there. So a lot of these categories. Oh, and voguing. I, I also know that voguing started in ball culture. Yes, yes. You're, 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 you're coming in the right place. So a lot of these uh, categories can be individual, like one person walks, then another person walks. Or they can be group events mm-hmm. where several people are moving, dancing, walking at the same time. And these categories mm-hmm. can range from dancing, lip syncing, specific movement types like vogue or duck walking, uh, face category, which is where you display your face to the best of its ability, body category, which is about <laughs> displaying your body to the best of its capability. Oddy, oddy. Body, oddy, oddy. Specific dress slash costume categories. So if they say, I want 80s businesswoman realness, then you'd better be bringing your biggest fucking shoulder pads. <laughs> right? Uh, themes. So the overall ball itself can have a theme like uh, uh, outer space or the Zodiac or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any combination of these previous categories together. So you can have like a face category coupled with the theme being uh pirates right and you have to make that work Mm -hmm. it's it's ingenious it's gorgeous it's beautiful to watch and this is where drag really found its competitive roots the categories both epitomize and satirize gender roles class roles archetypes in society all while also offering an escape from society as a whole, right? Mm -hmm. So over time, this grew beyond New York with houses finding chapters across America. Oh, you okay? Yeah, sorry. Okay. That was just something falling over on my desk. (laughs) Not me. (laughs) I got to check. Uh, So yeah, with houses finding chapters across America and later the world. In the 90s, the ballroom scene exploded into the mainstream for the first real time with the popularity of voguing. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Why why would voguing suddenly come into popularity in the early 90s? Was it because a rich white woman made it popular? It's because a rich white woman called Madonna made her music video Vogue and the documentary film. One of her best. Oh, yeah, no, Vogue is my top-tier Madonna song. Right? I, I love that song. I, I remember seeing that as a kid and just being like, I didn't know you could move like this. This is amazing. That probably also put a very big impression on me as a four-year-old. 
An iconic video, too. Yeah, it's also one of the only ways my dad knows how to dance, which he says, big box, little box, big bush, little bush. And that's him (laughs) just making a box around his head. (laughs) So Vogue is a kind of house dance finding its roots in uh, uh, the, the black Latin minority community of the LGBTQ community in Harlem in the 1980s. And so you would have seen this shown in the show Pose and currently in the reality competition called Legendary, which is phenomenal. Third season should have started by now. And if you want to see Ballroom done at an incredible level, you watch Legendary. Trust me. So, we're going to talk quickly about pageants now, because this is what this film Mm -hmm. deals with. Drag pageants... Yeah, these are all pageant girls, right? These are pageant girls. Drag pageants is a form of pageantry for female impersonators, drag queens, and trans women, originally, styled Mm -hmm. after the similar pageants for cis women, like the Miss America contest. Mm -hmm. Drag pageants began in earnest in the 60s, (coughs) sorry, organized across America by one Flawless Sabrina. Incredible name. These were often... I need a doll of her. Yeah. (laughs) These were often held in any open and welcome LGBTQ spaces, such as bars and discotheques, but has since moved to bigger venues for larger events. So now you'll see them being held at hotels, right? Or actual small Mm -hmm. convention spaces. The first national gay pageant was Miss Gay America in 1972, held at the Watch Your Hat and Coat Saloon in Nashville, Tennessee, (laughs) which was Nashville's first gay dance. damn, I want to go. Yeah, it doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately. (coughs) I know, it's one of those things, like, I know as soon as I stepped in, the cigarette smoke alone would knock 2022 me out. Yes. God, I want to see it. Yes. And it was the first gay dance and show bar in Nashville. Since its exception, Miss Gay America has been a pageant for cis men who live as men and achieve a convincing feminine illusion without the use of hormones or plastic surgeries, unless it's above the neck. They're okay with face fillers and nips and tucks up there, but anything below it... It's up to you how you achieve the feminine look through padding, through uh, fake boobs, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Part of the pageant includes an interview section as men, where the contestants will be docked points for appearing too feminine during the round, i.e. if they have uh, too much makeup on, if they have their fingernails still on. They have to look like men. So Miss Gay America is a very cis normative uh very binary very binary their categories include male interview solo talent evening gown stage question and answering and production talent and famous winners include hot chocolate Alyssa edwards coco montrese and asia o'hara it still runs to this day other well-known pageants include miss continental National Entertainer of the Year, Miss Gay U.S. of A, 
All-American Goddess, Miss National, Miss National at Large, Mr. National, Miss Gay International. Sorry, Miss National at Large. I I love that. Yeah. And National Bearded Queen. Yes. And I think it's very important at this point to also say, since its inception, originally, yes, drag was about men dressing as women, cis men dressing as women for the feminine illusion. But it's since it's evolved at that point, because now we also uh, include with it drag kings who are generally women dressed as men. But as that's continued to grow, we realize that women can be drag queens. Men can be drag kings. Non-binary people can be queens. Non-binary people can be kings. There's even a non-binary drag quote-unquote category. Some people call it drag royalty. Other people call it drag things. You know, queens, kings, and things. And Mm -hmm. quite frankly, drag is for everyone. Drag is what you make of it. And all drag is valid. That is my stamp. Yeah, Peppermint's one of my favorite uh, drag race contestants of all time, and she's a woman. Exactly. And when she performs, it's not always as a queen either, right? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of the club kids scene, and we'll talk about club kids at another point, because I think that's better saved for Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, because their looks Mm -hmm. are much more club-oriented. Uh. That, you know, the, the the looks don't have to eschew to a gender. Sometimes the look is just about the look. You want to strap, you know, 124 10-inch dildos to yourself? Fucking do it. Just make it look amazing. <laughs> the, the roller coaster of that sentence where you have strap, and I was like, I was bracing myself, and then you carried on, and then dildos whipped me right back. <laughs> yep. But that's, that's the joy of drag. Drag is art. Drag is mm-hmm. about expression of self. Uh, I myself am a drag queen. My drag name is Hrys Indigo. R-H-Y-S spelled the Welsh way. The Welsh way. And indigo is the color your body will be after I'm done beating the shit out of you. <laughs> uh, and, and before we get to the film then, uh, Sarah... If you were a drag performer, what would your drag name be? We have talked about this before, and I have to admit, I keep going for the really, really um, obscure thing. I still think that it would have to either be uh, Bosley Crowther. Bosley Crowther was a film critic for the New York Times uh, for several decades. Or Hermione Gingold, because Hermione Gingold was an actress. She's probably best known for playing the mayor's wife in uh, The Music Man. I just think those are both very funny names. Those are great, right? If you get a kick out of the names. I'm just, I'm so sad that my drag name came from my wrestling name, and I chose the wrestling name first before I properly got into drag, because then I came up with the perfect name for myself. So free drag name to anyone who listens. My alternative, oh, I'm excited my for alternative choice would have been Sandra. Oh, <laughs> our Canadian queen. <laughs> oh, I okay. 
I'm kind of glad that you didn't go with that because anytime somebody asked what your drag name was, I would immediately be embarrassed to say it. <laughs> I mean, you could also say but that's incredible. You could have also said it, Sandra. Oh. 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 All depends on how you feel. But yeah, that's yeah. that's a brief history of drag pageants and ballroom culture and uh essentially all three of those feed into the film that we are watching for today topics that we will no doubt be coming back to mm-hmm. again and again and again and again uh so getting to the movie we open mm-hmm. with patrick swayze all naked so we know he's really a cis man. Get your fill, ladies. Um, but I was texting you during these opening credits going, holy shit, he and Wesley Snipes look incredible. Oh, yeah. The, the three stars of the film, Wesley Snipes, Patrick Swayze, and John Leguizamo, all spent time before filming really taking part in drag culture in New York, spending time with drag queens, learning how to apply the makeup, how to look, how to talk, how to walk, all of that together. Because, I mean, this, their performances could have come off as hammy and schlocky and over the top, just like the lispiest queer people possible, right? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't. Yeah, these characters are, I don't know, speaking accurately, if they are not supposed to be the butt of the joke. Um, like in the scene where they're, where Wesley Snipes is playing basketball with the other women. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm kind of feeling like if I was in a theater in 1995, they would be laughing at the fact that Wesley Snipes is passing here. Um, but you can... S- still watch it nowadays and never feel like it's a mean joke on behalf of these women. No, it's, it's definitely, it, it feels kind. Like we know who they are. We, yes, we understand the situation they're in and we understand. Okay. So in the basketball scene, it's because they're choosing to be low key as low key as they can possibly be. It's just that Wesley Snipes also happens to be very enthusiastically playing basketball. (laughs) Yeah, and so a real quick word about pronouns. I think when we look at it from a modern point of view, 27 years after this movie was made, I think it's pretty clear that John Leguizamo and Paul and Patrick Swayze are playing trans women. I think. Um, I, it's hard to say because it's simply not part of the script, right? Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is certainly an outsider's point of view and it's not helped by watching Priscilla Queen of the Desert right after, which does have a trans woman in it. Mm -hmm. Um, but, at the same time, we have to go with what the text tells us and what the characters tell us, which is that 
these are men who are drag queens. Yeah, they are very adamantly talking about themselves as drag queens, but they spend the entirety of the film in their drag personas, and it only slips yeah, like and it, once or twice. It feels like it's very important to Vita to be accepted as a woman. Um, it feels like that's the main conflict. That's what she's overcoming at the end of the movie. Um, so yeah, I, I think you can honestly see it either way. Yeah, so I, I think for the best part of talking about this film is that we just refer to the three of them as she, her. Yeah, I th I think you're right. Not um, not I'm, collectively I'm gonna... like the Borg, but you know, individually, <laughs> individually, she, her, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely it doesn't feel. I'm sure in 1995 it feels like it's clear, but nowadays it doesn't feel clear at all what exactly. Um, these characters consider themselves to be. Yeah, I, I think if it was made now, there would be greater pains taken to very clearly discuss. Or maybe not. Maybe part of it is that we're not supposed to know because that's the characters as we see them through the film. And you know what? Part of the, the queer story is getting to the point where we don't have to have every story as a coming out story. We can just have Vita living her life and she never needs to stop and explain her whole deal, you know? Yeah. yeah. But again, to come back to the intro, they look incredible. I was blown away. I mean, Patrick Swayze is like a trained dancer. So seeing him moving in this wasn't quite a shock. But to see Wesley Snipes just looking so glam, I was I was delighted. I was enthralled. Oh my god. Wesley Snipes always looks on point. Like, Patrick Swayze has a, has a bit more of a matronly look that, mm -hmm. that he chooses for Vita Boheme. Whereas Wesley Snipes is gorgeous, is feminine, and that is despite how Wesley Snipes looks, which is, he's a muscular man. Yeah, this is like <coughs> two years after Demolition Man. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, it's not like Wesley Snipes stopped being Wesley Snipes to do this film, in terms of, like, oh, I stopped work working out for a year and a half in order to make sure I could play the part like some Christian Bale might want to do. No, yeah. it's just like, this is my body and I'm going to make it as beautiful as possible. And holy shit, you made it beautiful. Oh my God. His arms are incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, so after this getting ready montage, we see a ton of Queens at the drag room backstage at the pageant. And this is where I made a note that I had to ask you. I've got to get your true life experience. Do girls really not get ready at home? Or do girls really get ready at home? Because it's showing Vita Bohem and Noxima getting ready at home. And I'm like, that seems like a lot more work. I'm going to say it's it's going to be a back and forth depending upon the person and their individual life. Because I know 
for some wrestling shows, um, most girls will arrive in their face already in terms of wrestling mm-hmm. performers. Uh, me as a drag performer, I have showed up occasionally with my face on and then you have to do a bunch of work anyway and you just sweat through it. <laughs> Uh, I, I really do think it just depends. What's your distance from the venue? Were you working beforehand? Did you have time to put it on? Do you have space in the back room to get everything ready? Right? It's It's got to be mm-hmm. individual based upon the individual, their time, and uh, the allowances of the, uh, the pageant venue. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I asked this is we also see our third lead, John Leguizamo playing Chi-Chi, um, showing up to the pageant. And she is, again, already in drag. And she is, like, ducking bottles getting thrown at her and abuse and things like that. But also, I'm like, if I have to cross the city, I am not wearing pageant heels. <laughs> yeah, no. I've definitely uh, driven through Toronto and had to do errands with a full face. But never in a full costume as well. Uh, I will put my shoes on at the venue, please. Yes. Uh, And so these are our leads at the pageant. We've got Miss Vita Boehm, as we said. Um, Noxima. What's Noxima's last name? Noxima Jackson, because she makes a joke later on. Noxima Jackson. Joke later on. Oh, yeah, I'm uh, Jesse's daughter. Yes, exactly. And then Chichi Rodriguez, which according to the Wikipedia, <laughs> there was a pro golfer named Chichi Rodriguez who sued this movie for using his name. Uh, I'm going to quote 30 Rock again, as we are wont to do often. Uh, if you were to see a pro golfer <laughs> and a drag queen and say both were named Chichi Rodriguez. Which one would you believe? <laughs> I, I have held back from making the Wesley Snipes, uh, Michael Sheen joke so far. I'm so glad I wasn't the one who pulled it out. Yeah. And I didn't even use it on Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Wesley Snipes. Um, <laughs> so the queen of the pageant is about to be crowned. And last year's pageant comes out, last year's pageant winner comes out, Miss Rachel Tensions. And she descends from the ceiling like Satine at the Moulin Rouge. And I see this gorgeous glam dress that is a Confederate flag. And I go, holy crap, I hope that's a black woman. And then I went, because I'm not actually an idiot, I went, 1995? They're queuing us up to a big drag queen. I think I have an idea who this might be. Who is it? It is, in fact, RuPaul. It's RuPaul. It is, in fact, RuPaul. Yeah. Yeah, she shows up and she does, like, her RuPaul cat skills bit for 90 seconds. It's great. Yeah, this is this is peak uh, 90s RuPaul. Uh, for, like, when she was in the zeitgeist before her current time in the zeitgeist. <laughs> and the they immediately make things only gayer because just like the 1968 best actress winner it's a tie wait there was a tie i hope you appreciate the research wait there was a tie in the 1968 best actress winner 
Oh, honey, time to learn. Okay. So 1968 Best Actress uh, was a tie between Katherine Hepburn for The Lion in Winter and Barbara Streisand for Funny Girl. Now, here's where it gets fun. The um, president of the Academy at the time was Gregory Peck. And he instituted a change that year. So before that year, um, once you were nominated into the, once you received a nomination, you became a member of a cat of the Academy the next year. And you could then vote in the next year's Oscars. So if this change had not been made, Barbara Streisand is nominated in 1968 and cast her first vote in 1969. However, Gregory Peck says, no, we should actually have it the year they're nominated, they become members and they get to cast their vote. So if it were not for this change, Barbara Streisand would have received one less vote in the 1968 Oscars because she wouldn't have been able to vote for herself. Uh, and the Oscar would have gone to Katharine Hepburn alone. Here's the thing I want to, just as a small rebuttal, are you sure she voted for herself? I mean, it is Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. You never know. And if, honestly, like, if I'm starring in Funny Girl, then yeah, I'm voting for myself. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, that, that along with, uh, there were also years where they didn't think to go, hey, maybe we shouldn't have the person announcing the award be somebody who's nominated in the category. What if they win? Because there have been people awarding it to themselves. Yeah, that one I think should always be that way. Like, I, I like it when they have the Best Actress winner from the previous year announce the Best Actor <laughs> for this year. So that yeah. way you're pretty... It's a nice uh, continuity. Yeah, and and... It guarantees that Marissa Tomei won't be giving herself an Oscar. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Marissa Tomei famously won two in a row. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but I'm glad that I could make this moment even gayer for you. Oh, oh, yeah. An already gay moment has been made gayer. By a tie! What? Yes. So just like Mrs. Hepburn and Streisand... Noxima and Vita have tied. They have both won a trip to Hollywood to take place in the Miss Drag Queen of America pageant. And they accepted very gracefully together. One gets the scepter, one gets the crown. They are killing it. And Chichi Rodriguez, who was also in the pageant, runs off the stage in hysterics. She is a mess and a half. Yeah, I mean, other people are notably upset. I mean, we see that one drag queen crush a cup in her hand as she walks away. <laughs> oh, man. But Chi-Chi is not... Chi-Chi, I don't think at this point we can even give the title of hot mess. Chi-Chi has not even been microwaved. <laughs> so, we... <laughs> Because if you didn't know that Chi-Chi was going to be a really big part of this movie, this would honestly just be distracting. But as soon as they leave the pageant, they come across Chi-Chi crying backstage. And she's sad because she's not a beautiful queen like them. She's just a little boy in a dress. 
Oh, it breaks your heart. Doesn't it break your heart? <laughs> it it honestly really, really does. This is also where Vita is dressed exactly like Tony Curtis in Some Like It Hot, and it makes me very tickled indeed. Oh, oh, the the costuming choices in this film are perfection. Absolutely. Uh, we also find out around this time that Chi-Chi's a sex worker, which is ne- never really made a big deal of, which I appreciated. Great. Love it. Uh, so Vita takes uh, pity on Chi-Chi and is like, to Noxima, she's like, well, we should really bring Chi-Chi along with us because this would be a really nice thing to do for her. And Noxima, of course, is like, uh, no, like we worked hard for this. Why do we have to bring this person that we don't even know along with us? But Vita wins. She wins her over. She's got a good heart. Yeah, Vita is definitely the matriarch of what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we do find out that Vita's the one who taught Noxima how to do drag. Mm-hmm. Um, but they need money to get Chi-Chi with them. So they go to a bar owned by John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt, his name is, played by Robin Williams. His name is my name, too. <laughs> he is so delightful in this. Have you seen The Birdcage? I have seen The Birdcage once. Again, I think I was mm-hmm. uh, too young and before my queerness set in properly. <laughs> that I didn't quite get as much out of it that maybe I should have. Uh, I love that Robin Williams came into this film and was just like, I definitely want to do this. He did this as a favor to Spielberg, actually. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Did Spielberg produce this or what? So, Or it's his company? It, it is his company. He produced it. Spielberg really loved this script and he shopped it around to find the mm-hmm. right director. And... Uh, the director at the time, I can't remember what her name is, but it is a her. Um, I'll look it up in a second. She I've was like uh, eight and a half months pregnant. B-Ban Kidron. Yes. Also two movies in a row directed by uh, a female director. Love that. Mm-hmm. So she was heavily pregnant and Spielberg said to her, if at any time during this film that you're shooting and you have to go give birth and like you cannot do this, I will take over this film for you. This was almost a Steven Spielberg directed film. Wow. So, what a weird time. So he would have been like in between The Lost World and Amistad, I think? I... What a weird time. I can, can you even imagine Spielberg stepping outside of his comfort zone to make this film? Actually, the more I think about it, this like this is about people without parents and found community. This oh, I can I am honestly surprised that he did not make this himself. Good lord. Mm-hmm. But he was passionate about it. Oh my god, I can't believe I didn't see the Spielberginess of this. You walk away from it with a very Spielbergian feeling. Mm-hmm. So that's why Robin Williams is in this as a favor to Spielberg. And I think 
that's incredible. I think that's like he he's just another dollop of icing on this already perfect cake. Oh, exactly. Um, if you haven't seen The Birdcage, or like Sam, you saw it a long time ago and don't really remember it, um, Robin Williams' performance in this is basically just like a trailer for how delightful The Birdcage is and how great he is in it. That's great. That's so good to hear. Mm-hmm. He is a goddamn delight in this. He flirts outrageously with everyone. He just... Uh, the the happiness is just glowing off the screen. So, another thing about this scene, as they're walking into it, a young girl gets yes gets up, the cameo gets up from a table to Noxima Jackson. She says, "Oh, you look so beautiful. I wish I could look as beautiful as you." And Noxima's just like, "Oh, maybe you will. Goodbye," and walks away. She says, "Good luck, <laughs> Miss Naomi Campbell." God damn. I I immediately paused to see if that was, in fact, Naomi Campbell, as I thought it was. Because also, like, Naomi Campbell in the mid-90s is shining off the screen. Uh, You're looking... The cast of this film, the people who are in it, the cameos, they're all kind of at the height of their 90s power. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, Robin Williams is doing some of his best work. He is one of the most bankable actors in Hollywood. Right, Naomi Campbell is the superstar, supermodel of the world. Right, I, you, I cannot imagine how they managed to get these people. I mean, Wesley Snipes is an action star. Patrick Swayze is a sex star. John Leguizamo is doing all his. Are you still there? Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Can you hear me? Oh no, have I lost you? Oh, there you are. Oh, there, yeah. you are. Oh, oh, there we are. That, that'll be weird. Okay. Uh, John Leguizamo is at the peak of his just weird, out there, cool self. Mm-hmm. And everybody is... You don't get the idea that le- there's anything that Leguizamo like, isn't interested in. No, 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 no. Of course not. Because he does, he does Shakespeare. He does drag he does a really bad video game adaptation right (laughs) oh man i can't wait to show you that yeah i i forgot that this was in between uh tybalt and luigi (laughs) (laughs) you know the two stalwart pillars of any acting career tybalt and luigi (laughs) it's like it's like um Tom Hiddleston asking Owen Wilson, have you played Hamlet? Also, have you played Luigi and Tybalt? <laughs> <clears throat> anyway. Uh, so, yeah, they're at the so anyway, they're at the China Bowl and talking to John Jacob Jinglehammer Schmidt. Yeah. So, long story short, he's going to buy their plane tickets off of them so that they can travel across in a cheaper way to get to LA and they go through it. They're like, are we going to take the train? Are we going to take the bus? And he says, no, actually I know a guy. And this is where the nineties of it pops out again. (laughs) I know a guy. If you mention my name, he will sell you any car on the lot for $50. Five zero children. Five zero. Five zero decimal place. End of money. Insane. (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, so he he gives them the money. They're going to go off. But it's around that time that Vita sees who's been supervising their conversation. Mm. One return to the show, Miss Julie Newmar. Oh, 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 she's just, she's so statuesque. (laughs) I was, I was, I had that all lined up, man. (laughs) But yes, it is the notable golem, Julie Newmar, uh, has been watching over them from a signed photo that says, To Wong Fu, thanks for everything, Julie Newmar. And Vita decrees that Julie Newmar is watching over them and they're going to take the photo and this will be their talisman for the journey. It's a, it's a lovely scene of just A, ah, they said the title of the film, but B, yeah. uh, it, it, it is, again, about that found community, that found family, right? Julie Newmar's not mm-hmm. there personally. She's got nothing to do with this. But they're taking her strength and her spirit. It's also a great character scene for Vita, where you get an idea of her sort of optimism and hopefulness and uh, willingness to, you know, accept signs and portents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they set off to drive across the U.S. They buy a enormous yellow Cadillac. Looking at it, I honest, I actually drove past a Cadillac this past weekend, and I was driving past it, and I was like, I can't believe I ever used to live in a world where cars this big were normal. It's a land boat. <laughs> Seriously, but like everyone I know growing up had like sedans with the big long front and the big long back, and it was just completely normal. And now I'm like, I'm looking at it and I'm like, it's 27 feet long. What are you doing with all that car? Immense enormous and the car salesman says actually it's like a really bad idea because there's no way that car is going to take them all the way to LA um but they all look so good in it and I don't know I I've never bought a car off a lot but I imagine that if you put up more mirrors like the one they admire themselves in you would sell a lot more cars (laughs) (laughs) you just see yourself in that car and you're like ooh, ah Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Maybe not me. Maybe not my beige Kia, but... <laughs> Something similar. The idea is there. Something similar. Yeah. So they hit the road again. They all look incredible. Especially Vita with her head wrap and scarf and... Ugh. Adorable. Incredible. Gorgeous. So they set off to drive across the U.S. And one of their first stops is Vita's hometown, Bella Coonwood. Spelled the Welsh way. Spelled the Welsh way. (laughs) (laughs) So we find out that Vita grew up really rich. This is like a really fancy suburb. Um, We already pretty much knew that Chi Chi wasn't, but um, we get Noxima's reaction as well, where they're like, like, how did you ever give this up? I think at one point, Chi Chi says her parents were so poor that they married just for the rice, which is a great line. 
Oh, it's so cute. She pulls up in front of this gorgeous place that Noxima and Chichi are obviously like in their dreams. They imagine they could live in a house like this. But of course, Vita's parents disowned her when she came out. Um, and as if to prove it, they're sitting there parked across the street and Vita's mother comes out, sees her in the car and immediately turns around and walks back in. Heartbreaking. To which I say, why are you going to have a kid if you're not going to love them? Absolute garbage. Yeah. Um, but this, of course, Vita won't show that it's got her rattled, but she gets so upset that she says, maps are cheating! And she tears up the map and throws it into the road in like the one effect shot of the movie that doesn't really last. Yeah, at... if there are any other effects <laughs> shots, they are not noticeable. But this one, unfortunately, is. Yeah, it's also not the smartest idea. Yes, but it's for the aesthetic, darling. And Vita is about the aesthetic and style and fashion, first of all. Fair, fair. Um, so as they're driving. Chichi gets mad because they keep calling her like a boy in a dress. They're saying you're not a drag queen. There's no way that you're ready. That sort of thing. Um, and they eventually come to the agreement. Fine. They will teach her to be one. And in the meantime, she can be a drag princess. Which is really cute. <laughs> She's, oh, I'm a princess There's definitely now. a case of... <laughs> There's... It really does, like, there's the concept of drag mothers, but it really does feel like Noxima and Vita are taking Chi-Chi under their wing like this. Again, it's it's the it's the found family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and Noxima, in a very funny moment from Wesley Snipes, obviously just makes it up off the top of your head. There are four steps to being a queen, and we'll let you know as you come to them. <laughs> So they're all exhausted and they want to stop for a hotel, but of course are uh, absolutely terrified of being clocked. Um, this is one of the few moments where I feel like the movie is like, yeah, these people are in true danger of being assaulted and they say as much. Yeah, but uh, Chi Chi is also, uh, I mean, fearless is a way of saying it. Naive is another way of saying it. Yeah, but I think it's also, uh, whether you want to say that it's hinted at, because she says, you know, these are nice hotels, they let you take the mint even if you don't stay the whole night. Um, I think it's strongly suggested, if not said outright, that Chi Chi has a lot more experience going into hotels and motels than either of the other two do. So she's not, she's not nearly so afraid. She is the only one brave enough to march right in. And, and it works out. It does work out. So they go in and the manager greets them and is like, oh, all of your friends are in the women's bar, which is also like, remember when places used to have women's bars? It's like a smoking section. Ugh, smoking section. Um, and they find out that there is a conference of female basketball players. It's... It's the, the, the 
the magic of the hero's journey is coming to help them out along the way and just be like, yeah, sure, you guys won't get clocked because of women's basketball players. You're all tall. Exactly. And in the morning, Miss Noxima plays ball with them. She is at her most adorable. This is also probably my favorite outfit of the entire movie when she's got her pigtails on and she's in their athletic outfit. <laughs> and she is dunking on them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I am told that white women can't jump. No, that's white men. Um. So while on the road, they are pulled over by Sheriff Dullard. It's Dullard. That's a, that's a misprint. <laughs> <laughs> He's played by Chris Penn. He's awful. He's awful. He's awful. Um, this is, again, one of the points where the movie gets serious for a second, and I don't care for it. <laughs> I don't think it's bad. I just don't like watching it. No, no. This is definitely the... It's it's not uh, a gay panic moment, as opposed mm. to the the fear of the repercussions should somebody clock you as the person that you're not. Yeah. So that's the thing. Um, Vita is absolutely terrified of having to show her license because it has her dead name on it. Um, so she is trying to do everything that she can basically to sort of delay this. Like she's flirting with him and he uh, immediately spews racial slurs at the other people in the car. Mm -hmm. Not endearing us anymore to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so she's worried again that he's going to clock her when he gets her to step out of the car. But it's okay because he only wants to sexually assault her. Uh... Yeah. Enjoy passing, ladies. Anyway, um, the funny part is, though, she immediately clocks him and punches him unconscious. <laughs> oh, it's it's <laughs> so good to see. Oh, yes. Um, and he, they immediately think he's dead. I also thought he was dead watching this for the first time. I mean, Patrick Swayze has ripped a man's throat out once in a previous film. Punching a guy to death might not be too far away from that. <laughs> exactly. Um, so with Sheriff Dollard, uh, apparently dead on the street, our poor girls are like, we have to get out of here because, no, of course, nobody's going to believe them if they stick around. Why should they stick around? So they immediately hightail it out. But just like Cinderella, she leaves the shoe behind. A, uh, a plastic see-through shoe. Mm -hmm. Just like Crystal, except her uh, her Prince Charming is awful. <laughs> Uh, so at a rest stop, they sort of like recover from the incident and they're all finally like getting it back together again. And then the car breaks down, ah. which honestly I'd been waiting for until this point. I was astonished that it took this long for the Chekhov's gun to go off. Oh my God. Chi-Chi has a 
again gotten mad because again they're like we brought her along and Chi Chi's like listen I never asked to be brought along yet here I am with you two losers <laughs> and she gets especially mad when Vida docks her her princess points and she storms off she's intending uh, to get home through any means necessary She's gonna. T- I think. I think possibly the phrase "ride the next man" is used. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things. Do you remember the trailer for Detroit Rock City, where they say uh, hitchhiking is how a horror movie starts? Uh, no, I I, ha- I haven't seen the trailer for Detroit Rock City, or at least not recently. It was one of. It was one of those trailers that played before some other movie that I watched all the time. Uh, So I've never actually seen Detroit Rock City, but the trailers burned into my brain. Because uh, they say, hitchhiking, that's how horror movies start. It's also how porn movies start, bro. And I think that every time I see somebody hitchhiking in a movie. (laughs) I mean, what would the world be right now without Detroit Rock City? Hmm? Hmm? Yeah, exactly. Uh, so Chi-Chi is out there hitchhiking, and she, to my utter delight, finds a sweet little gentleman. Oh. Jason London, who I think was on Dawson's Creek or something like that around this time. I He was always in my teen magazines, but I'd never actually seen him in anything. He looked vaguely familiar, but uh, not enough that I'd be like, oh, it's that guy. I... I briefly looked through his imdb but i didn't really see anything that i was like oh yes he also had a twin brother i think named jeremy so that might be part of it too jeremy jeremy so bobby ray played by jason london picks her up and is a complete gentleman swings by grabs the other girls and takes them to his town spidersville snydersville Spidersville. (laughs) (laughs) He gives them a ride over to Carol Ann's. Where Carol Ann says, Virgil, are you home? No. He's home. Virgil is the town mechanic. Carol Ann is his wife and runs basically the closest thing to a hotel in Snydersville. Um, And Virgil is able to go out and get the car and tow it back. Again, they are all terrified of being clocked. This place is in the middle of nowhere. This town, um, I looked it up, it where they actually shot this. It's in Nebraska, and it currently has a population of 40. Jeez Louise. Oh, I cannot imagine that. But you've left out the most important detail about Carol Ann. That she is played by one Miss Rizzo herself. The First Lady of the United States of America, Mrs. Bartlett. Stalker Channing. She is... Like, Stalker Channing's always great. I, I don't need to say Stalker Channing is great and that she's great in this movie. But goddamn, is she great in this movie. She's so good. Especially when, like, I think both of us, like, the number one thing that we think of her as is the first lady on the west wing and you compare it to here where you know abigail bartlett has like a perfect posture i always think of her she never like slumps or slouches she is always 
fully in the room. Whereas Carol Ann is terrified and trying not to show it for most of this movie. Stalker Channing is just so good at it. She really is an incredible actress. And I mean, I also think of her as one of the ants from Practical Magic. Mm, yes. Yeah. Uh, but again, she is the no-nonsense ant. She is the ant that calls bullshit when something happens. <laughs> okay, it's killing me. Who's the other ant? Diane Weist. Thank you. There we go. I I could literally see everybody dancing around in the kitchen, and I couldn't put that fourth face Yeah, in. you gotta put the lime in the coconut. And drink them all alone. Mm. Yeah. Um... So they're all horrified of being clocked, but no one in the entire town seems to pick anything up. They just comment about how they're all very tall. Very tall ladies. Mm -hmm. uh, they are shown to their room because they all want to sleep in the same room together. Caroline immediately turns on the overhead light and they all panic, which like, also, I never turn on my overhead light for the exact same reason, and I'm not even trying to not get clocked. Yeah. It's not flattering. Yeah, I think a little part of them is also like, oh no, this is not flattering. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to their defense, they are not polite about this room. <laughs> but it doesn't look great. There's, like, two twin beds, and I think it's implied that at least one of them is a Murphy bed, too. Um, it it looks um, Steinbeckian. Also, their bathroom doesn't have a toilet. Yeah, I, I don't understand how that... You know what? They, they weren't expecting company. I'm sure they were getting round to a toilet eventually. Yeah. Uh, so they stay there overnight in the morning. Virgil tells them, listen, there's nothing to be done. He can fix their car, but because it's so old and it's a Cadillac, he needs a special part and it's going to take the weekend for it to come in. So they are going to have to stay there for the weekend. Oh, no. Yeah. Hey, it's the um, middle of nowhere. Quite literally. Yeah. And B, yeah, they are worried that a town full of uh, potentially bigoted people might not take kindly to their type. Yeah, vaguely hostile louts standing about the car staring at them. Yeah, not cool. Um, It's around this time that we learn the other members of the town include... Blythe Danner. You want to talk about casting against type for sad out of nowhere. If I want to think like graceful and assured, I'm casting Blythe Danner and Stalker Channing. Again, this cast is incredible. But you, you don't just have Blythe Danner who's playing the town gossip. There's Beth Grant, too, Beth who Grant. I love to see every time. Uh, you know, I couldn't have told her, told you her name off the top of my head, but I saw her name in the opening credits. I was like, Beth Grant. I love a Beth Grant. I love seeing Beth Grant in things. She, she's just one of those actresses that you're like, you know what? 
whoever you're playing, I'm going to be in good hands with you. Even if you're a horrible old woman. And same thing. Who is it who plays... um, There's an actress in it who plays uh, Kathy Geis on 30 Rock, who I was just like... Oh my God! You you gotta be, you can't you gotta be kidding me! I've never seen this woman in anything else, and there she is. Yeah, it, this the cast is really just like a. It's Marceline Hugo. It's it's a who's who of that ladies. Exactly, it really is a rich um text for like multiple women and multiple women of different ages and types. And what I what I really like too is that it's clear that these women weren't just cast because they can look like frumpy middle of nowhere kind of the sticks people. It was can you have a plain look, and then later on, can we glam you up? Which is also fun because somebody like Beth Grant, you don't often get to see glammed up, and she sells it. She does. Um, so as you say, Blythe Danner is the town gossip and she sort of tells all of the girls the secrets of the town. There's Miss Clara. Her husband left her. He ran the movie theater uh, and ran off with a distributor. Uh, there's the boy with the stutter who runs the general store. There's so on and such forth. And it's honestly, it feels effortless at the time. I didn't actually realize because I didn't realize watching the movie for the first time that we were essentially at our main plot point, that this town was going to be where we spend the rest of the movie. Yeah. You... And it really does feel effortless the way they're setting the stage for this cast of characters. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very natural thing to have a town gossip and be able to just be, well, here's your cast of characters going forward. Uh, Blythe Danner even talks about um, the the local uh, bar owner. I, it's kind of a bar. I kept thinking it was Delroy Lindo, and it's not Delroy Lindo, but he looks just he like him. He has Delroy Lindo energy, though, in that he's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's really sexy. <laughs> in that sort of, like, very confident way, you know? Mm-hmm. In, in an older gentleman, like, I've been around, I've seen things, I'm a very kind person, but also, yeah, they'll get a little freaky. Yeah, like, he will take you on a chase drive on Sunday and nothing's gonna happen, but maybe not for lack of wanting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... There's around this. I'm just going to cover the whole Miss Clara thing real quickly because it just makes me so happy. Miss Clara has not talked to anyone in decades after her husband ran off. Oh. oh. And she just sort of shuffles around the town carrying her old records and posters and things like that. And at one beautiful piece of set work that we see is that the theater that her husband ran was called the Clara and nobody ever points it out. You just see oh, it. It's so beautiful. I never noticed that. Yes. Um, but she drops a picture of, uh, it's not Ray Milland. It's somebody like that. And Noxima chases after her trying to get her to, to 
to let her know, hey, you dropped your picture. And Miss Clara is so nervous, really, about interacting with anyone that she actually pulls a U-turn in the middle of walking down the main street to avoid Noxima. <laughs> it's it's so delightful <laughs> in that, you know, Noxima just genuinely wants to help this person out with a little thing. And Clara just wants to do her own thing. She She's talked about as being... Uh, a mute essentially Mm -hmm. and that she hasn't talked in years and you know has probably had no reason to talk right ever since her husband left Mm -hmm. but noxima sits down with her after returning and she is exhausted because miss clara has dragged her across all of snydersville (laughs) and she sort of just keep starts chatting because she sees that miss clara has all of these old movie things and she starts talking about what she wants to do when she reaches LA. I, get, I cannot emphasize how great Wesley Snipes is in this role. Oh my god, he sells this, like, oh, I love LA, I love the glitz and glamour of Hollywood, and he starts talking about, oh, if I could if I could be in any movie, I would be in a, a movie about Miss Dorothy Dandridge. Oh, I would play her, you know, because I, I've loved her ever since I was a little kid. I remember watching her, and so Wesley Snipes begins listing off all of uh, Dorothy Dandridge's films in order, but then starts forgetting some of them. And this is the thing. This is finally the thing that gets Miss Clara to open up. And Miss Clara pipes up, and Noxima just carries on, and doesn't even realize for a while that Miss Clara started talking. And there's just this beauty. I mean, huh, I wonder why you and I related to this story of somebody drawn out of their shell by talking about movies. Something, movies that maybe nobody else has heard of. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's... Somebody who really, really wants to talk about them. <laughs> it's such a beautiful scene. And you can tell, like, Clara has finally found, like, a kindred soul after all of these years because it's it's probably like when her husband initially left her i'm sure there were people in the town who tried to talk to her but then Mm -hmm. after a while people just stopped bothering and they kept moving it around that oh yeah we just don't talk to her and she's been desperate to talk to somebody for ages Mm mm-hmm and then along comes a new person, a, a new person who loves what she loves, and they have this connection. Later on in the movie, we find out that Miss Clara has all of these old records that Noxima says haven't been played in years and years. And she puts on one of her old records and they dance together. Oh. Because it's a waste to not dance to this beautiful music. Ab- oh. Absolutely. My heart. Oh, little Noxima, who didn't want to bring Chi-Chi along, and I'm just, oh, honest to God. Uh, At the same time, we start to see a little bit more of Carol Ann's life. Uh, Miss Vita finds Carol Ann in the kitchen with a bruise on her face and crying. And Carol Ann says, no, uh, I I jumped... I dropped a bunch of boxes on my face from the closet. Sure you did, honey. Sure you did. 
And at the same time, Vita goes to season the pot that she has on the stove, and Carol Ann flips the fuck out. She tries to explain that her husband, Virgil, doesn't like spices in his food. And so she has to cook it a very specific way. So she tries frantically to fish out all of the spices that Vita put in, which we later find out, of course, of course, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Virgil is an asshole and sweet stalker Channing of all people, of all people, um, is uh, is being abused, to which I say we got to do a goodbye Earl sort of situation. Yeah. 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 Um, around this time is also when Sheriff Dollard is discovered by his colleagues and he wakes up. So he's not dead. He's not dead. He was out cold. That's super bad for you, bro. Um, but he is, of course, immediately ridiculed by all of his colleagues because they say, you were beaten up by a girl. And this is where the 1995 issues of gender come in again, because he's saying, no, I wasn't beaten up by a girl. And they're like, well, look at her shoe. I was beaten up with a guy. He had a dick. I felt it. This doesn't help his case. No, and it's the, well, which is worse for him? That he got beaten up by a girl or that he got beaten up by a queer? Exactly. And because nobody else on the force will help him, this sort of drives his crusade through the end of the movie. <laughs> Where, again, it takes a, it takes a clever movie to... Uh, thread this needle of he makes a a list of places to find homos <laughs> quote unquote and they're things like uh florists and dance studios and things like that and every once in a while we'll see him marching into a ballet studio and very carefully looking at all of the children at the bar <laughs> Uh, uh, while he may be a sheriff, he's certainly no detective. No. No. And angrily, this list which he wrote in Sharpie, angrily crossing items off his list. Uh, Vita, Noxima, and Chichi decide that since they are going to be stuck in Snyderville for a while, they might as well make the most of it. So then they do their bewitched transformation of the hotel room. I love that they all do the bewitched. Oh no, it's not uh, bewitched. It's I Dream of Genie, where they cross their arms and nod. Mm -hmm. They don't even need to say anything to each other. It's one of those great moments where you're like, oh yeah, these people are genuinely friends. And while they're doing it, the Wonder Woman theme song plays in the background. As all of the women in the town stare through the windows at this magic that they are casting, which is basically like putting a lot of shawls on lamps. <laughs> and I mean, there's there's a there's a little level of magical realism happening as they they mm -hmm. throw the scarves and shawls at the wall and they magically stick to it in just the right way. Yeah, it's just like the. Um... The scene in Mary Poppins where they're cleaning up the nursery and everything's moving sort of stop motion. It looks just like it. Yes, very similar to that. Um, this is out of order. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So uh, 
around this time, we see Chi-Chi going for a walk, and she is very quickly cornered by some louts. We learn that, in fact, this town of gay hell um, is not as good as we might have hoped, and there are some people sort of like angrily cornering Chi-Chi, and she's rapidly getting more nervous, and every time she tries to escape, one more comes out of nowhere. So, uh, fun fact, the leader of this little gang of hooligans is Michael Vartan, who would go on to be the star, the love interest of uh, Alias. That was it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, he was another one I had to look up because he's wearing a baseball hat for most of this, and for some reason that rendered him unrecognizable to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so she is fortunately saved by Billy Ray, Jason London, who drives over in a pickup and he is so completely gone on her. 100%. Oh, he is head over heels. Uh, she, she's the most cosmopolitan and, uh, and, uh, not, not foreign, but I mean, New York is basically foreign to him at this point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> He's a uh, he's um, vandalized a billboard, so it says Chi-Chi, and she thinks it's just like the most romantic thing she has ever seen. It is so sweet. I know it. It's oh, I I would love a boy to do this for me. Just take me out to the middle of like a kind of nowhere area and show me uh, some kind of vandalism he's done just for me. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't know why I find that so funny. <laughs> what, the idea of romantic t- vandalism? Yeah, just the idea of you seeing it as the most swoon-worthy thing. It could be swoon-worthy. I would love that if a, if a boy was just like, got something to show you, and I'm like, okay, all right. And then he shows me just, even if it was as simple as, I scratched out Coke and wrote your name instead, it doesn't have to be like a mural of me as the Venus uh, emerging from the ocean. I mean, I'd love that. But, you know. <laughs> okay, as soon as I get <laughs> my money, as soon as I win the lotto, I'm commissioning that, though. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so meanwhile, uh, uh, Vida and Noxima are over at Not Delroy Lindo's bar, and they're helping to... Um, prepare things for the strawberry social which is basically everybody comes out they eat some strawberry pie and then they leave that is the whole thing yeah they're they're this is also apparently the biggest social event of the year for this small town and mm-hmm. even the biggest social event of the year sounds like uh, one of the least interesting things to ever happen there I mean, my small town had May Days, which was basically, like, just an excuse for a carnival and a beer garden. But, like, at least we had a carnival and a beer garden, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, um, So, of course, Vida and Noxima are like, you're having a social? Well, this is, this is fabulous. This is what we do. We, we're going to have a theme. I think it's red all over is the theme. Wild and decorate. red. 
because it's about strawberries. Wild and red. Yeah, it's about strawberries, right? What do strawberries make you think of? Red? Yes, red. That's a good start. Anything else? Wild strawberries? There's your theme. (laughs) Wild and red. And it's around this time that they discover one of the characters... There's a salon in town. I love this salon. It's all, everything in this town is sort of weather beaten until you get inside. And then it's like a time capsule, right? So it looks just like this mid-century modern salon. Oh, it's got trellises and fake ivy going up it. Everything's in a a beautiful white and, and very light green motif. And... This is the first big step in the makeover of this town, where all the women sit down, including Miss Clara and Beth Grant, and they and Beth Grant and Kathy Geis and Kathy Geis, and they all get their hair done, and there is a glow that happens immediately from these women. Absolutely, um, we find as well. They go across the street to the general store. They're like, "Mm, what do we have here? And of course, it's all like farmware. There's jeans. There's plaid. That's it. Until. Until Noxima goes up into the attic and screams. Ah! (laughs) Oh, that's just all the stuff that my grandma bought when she opened the store in the 60s and was never able to sell. So there's all of this perfect, of course, mod 60s wear just sitting there ready for these freshly made over women. It's, again, it is the fantasy of the movie exerting itself. Oh, absolutely. Um, And so all of these women who are freshly made over then, like, put on a fashion show in the general store in their 60s gear. It's incredible. Oh, they're coming out in their hippie, mod, you know, big sunglasses, bright colors. It's more color than this town has ever seen. Oh, absolutely. Everybody's in sort of like, everybody's clothes at the start of the drag queens arriving sort of looks like everything's been washed too many times. Like all of the colors have been drained out of them. Mm Mm-hmm. But now here they are, a new life has been breathed in and people are taking notice. But now this, this don't give a fuck energy has permeated into the women and they don't give a fuck what other people think in terms of how they're dressing. Exactly. Uh, Michael Vartan and his band of louts is around at this time and he catcalls them, which Noxima does not care for. (laughs) She walks over to him. She says, you like my nails? He says, yes. She grabs him by the balls, (laughs) drags him over and makes him apologize for catcalling. Oh my God. Install a Noxima Jackson on every corner. If we all had the confidence and upper body strength of Miss Noxima Jackson. (laughs) Uh, And every time he doesn't do what she says, she just squeezes harder. (laughs) Little twist here, little squeeze there. And at the end, she lets him go and she tells him to go home, get a haircut and put on a clean shirt. Oh, 
great. I love it. Uh, uh, Carol Ann is seeing all of this from her. It's weird. Her kitchen's on the second story. But anyway, she can oversee everything because, of course, there's like 40 people in the town. Her house looks over everything that's happening at the salon and the general store. So she can see that all of these other women are getting this drag queen makeover. And unfortunately, Virgil comes in around this time. He immediately tastes the food. He's able to taste the spices. He gets mad at her. And of course, he humiliates her. He's like, that's not you. Which is just... If you want to see somebody, like, broken real quick, tell them that they can't achieve their tiniest little dreams. Yeah, it's not about the big ones. It's about even the smallest thing of, you can't go out there and act like an idiot. Look at all of them. They're making fools of themselves. Do you want to be a fool? So hissably boo. Boo this man! <sighs> <laughs> yeah, someday we'll have to do a pantomime show of this, and we'll boo and we'll throw things at the screen whenever Virgil's there. Oh, maybe that'll be our, our first movie for our... Uh, you know, Canadian tour. Exactly. <laughs> Us in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. The double bill. Exactly. Um, later on, uh, Vita and all the girls are downstairs in their hotel room. Hotel room. Which is now, of course, gorgeous and glam as always. And they start getting in another fight. Oh no! Wait, is the is the scene outside on the porch first? Which scene outside on the porch? Where Jason London shows up. Uh, yes, I do think that is first. Okay. Um. So meanwhile, we haven't discussed Bobby Lee. Bobby Lee is. I thought at first Bobby Ray's sister. She is not. It's very important that she is. <laughs> it's not. very important. Oh my god. Uh, Bobby Lee is this young girl around Bobby Ray's age, and she is sweet on him. But, unfortunately, Bobby Ray has seen a career gal from the city, and his head is gone. Yeah, he's fallen... They are all hanging out... He has... Sorry, go No, ahead. no, yeah. He's fallen head over heels for Chi-Chi, remember? He's crossed out <laughs> Coke and written Chi-Chi. And um, and Chi-Chi is head over heels for him because he's such a sweet boy and he treats her, he does treat her so well. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, Bobby, God, there's too many Bobbies. Which one's the girl? Bobby Lee. Bobby she, Lee. She laughs that anybody would think that her name was Bobby Ray because that's obviously a boy's name. Yeah. So Bobby Lee is so smitten with Bobby Ray, but she also has zero confidence, just like most of the rest of the women in the town. Mm -hmm. It's just... It... So they're all hanging out. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's especially twice so because she is a teenage girl. Yeah. Which, never again. <laughs> never again. You could tell me that I could go back in time and buy Apple stock and I wouldn't do it. I promised myself I would never be a teenager again. <laughs> so yeah, everybody's hanging out on the porch and Chi-Chi is in like this white, it's like halfway between a baby doll 
dress and just a straight up teddy with stockings and garters. It it would look kind of ridiculous and horny on anyone else, but she is carrying off this innocence so well. John Leguizamo. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I have this issue whenever I try to wear, like, 60s mod stuff, where instead of looking, like, cute and like Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby, I just look like like a child prostitute or something like that. Oh, no. And that is not the look that John Leguizamo is giving here. No. He is, again, adorable. Innocence. Um, so Bobby Ray comes over and he says... Gotta ask a special lady to the strawberry social. Bobby Lee. Can you take the kids inside so I can talk to Chi Chi? And it's awful. You can see it on her face. She immediately runs off. She's crying. Vita goes and uh, takes care of her. But Chi Chi says, come back in an hour and, and we'll talk then. Vita, of course, is very much against this because, and again, here's where we get into some weird homophobic-ish or transphobic-ish stuff where she says, Chi-Chi, you are fooling that boy. And it's not fair because you're not being honest with him. Yeah, this this part really toes the line of that where part of it is the drag queens all recognizing each other as drag queens and saying we know we are men dressed as women mm-hmm. pretending to be women in this environment and there's sweet little Chi Chi finally living the most romantic fantasy she's ever had yeah, she's been reading all these comic books the whole time about, like, this Zorro-type character saving ladies. And that's all she wants. Is that so wrong to ask? And Exactly. And, I mean, love, great. Love that for you. I would think everybody deserves love. But it it is misleading to this boy in the fact that as so long as we are reading these people as drag queens and not trans yes. individuals. Um, because we really, really want to make it clear that uh, this is something that gets actual human beings killed is this gay panic or trans panic. And this movie is not as delicate as I would hope a movie made nowadays would be with this topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chi-Chi's upset, of course, because, <laughs> again, her two moms never let her do anything she wants. <laughs> uh, and she says, Vita, you know, you're just an old hag and you're just jealous. And that's when they hear Virgil beating up Carol Ann again. And this is where, for, for the briefest of seconds... We see Vita drop being Vita. And this is achieved through two ways. One, she is so livid that all pretense of politeness goes out the window. But two, 
she walks by a really low-hanging chandelier and it snatches her wig off. Mm-hmm. And it breaks character for just a second. It's I, I earnestly feel like it's a tremendous feat of acting that Patrick Swayze is pulling off here, being Vita. Yeah, you see everything on his face instantly. Yes, because he, it stops being Vita and it starts being Eugene. Mm-hmm. Which is part of the reason that that moment is part of why... A big part, I think, of why I was reading Vita as trans the whole time. And that's fair. It's the only moment you see Vita not wearing her wig other than at the like the very first shot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this point, she's so mad at Virgil that she doesn't care about anything other than protecting Carol Ann. She is going to stop this. So she goes upstairs and she kicks the kitchen door down. <laughs> yes! <laughs> and with the poise and grace and dignity that Vita can bring to kicking a kitchen door down. Yes. And they get Carol Ann out and she hides with Noxima and uh, Chi Chi, and she's so afraid because Virgil hurts people. And they say, it's okay because Miss Vita works out a lot. <laughs> and again, just like with Sheriff Dullard, she cleans his clock. She, the The next shot we see is him flying out the front door of the house. There is a suggestion that she has kicked his ass down the stairs and outside. That whole house has seen his ass getting kicked by Vita. Mm-hmm. At the end, Vita just carries on being Vita again. Virgil scampers away like the coward that he is and she takes care of Carol Ann like a goddamn adult. Yeah, take care of your friends. Yeah. Um, also support your friends who are in abusive relationships, even if they're Stalker Channing. Even Stalker Channing couldn't get out of one on her own, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they all have a good laugh together before deciding. <laughs> At first, this was one part where I went, oh my god, this is awful. But then it turns right back around again because they say that they're going to get rid of all men. Fair enough. I agree. (laughs) I'm in the same boat. Uh, Yeah, men are kind of awful. (laughs) Um, Except they're going to keep Mel Gibson. And I go, ugh. They're like, it's because his ass is nice. He's not allowed to talk. And I'm like, you've won me back, ladies. (laughs) I had the exact same reaction. I went, oh no, this line didn't age well. Oh no, this line aged perfectly. The boomerang of the sexualizing Mel Gibson line. God damn it, had me in the first half, not gonna lie. And then, of course, the next day the town is all done up for... Oh no, no, not even the next day, because... It's time for the dance. Oh, yes. And Bobby Ray comes over and asks Bobby Lee 
to go with him. And she is very careful because she has been schooled by the drag queens in the ways of one Miss Anne Baxter in the Ten Commandments. It's all about the handiography and the looking away and looking up and, oh, I suppose if you must, but I simply couldn't be bothered. And she is... They've given her a makeover. She's in this gorgeous dress. It's like, it's so, so pretty. It's exactly the sort of dress I would have wanted if I was watching this movie at the time. And you can you can tell that she is, she believes now that she is the prettiest girl in the world. Because they've made her feel like that. It's not just the makeover. It's the way they talk to people and the way they big them up internally to be like, no, 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 no. You're, you're not any of these insecurities and you're none of these flaws that you think you have. You are a woman. You are powerful and sexual and sensual because and Because she mysterious. confides in Vita too. She says she wants to be a career girl just like them. And she wants to get out of this town. And she, it feels like it's a big thing that she's trusting Vita to even tell her that she wants to have a career. Yeah. And Vita's kind of yeah. just telling her, you can be all those things and so much more. You just got to get out of your own way and live it. Exactly. And so, yeah, eventually Jason London and the the Bobbies, both Ray and Lee, are dancing at the Strawberry Social in in the moonlight with the music playing. Um, but it's really about the whole town coming together. Delroy Lindo and Blythe Danner are dancing together, and Michael Vartan's put on a clean shirt and is dancing with one of the old ladies. And everybody's having just a wonderful time. And the camera pans up to the balcony where the three drag queens are standing. <laughs> And they are in pink, green, and light blue. And they begin swaying to the music and they say, all it takes sometimes is a fairy. And they are dressed like <laughs> Flora, Fauna, and Meriwether. And they start doing choreography together almost unconsciously. It's great. It's so beautiful. It's so lovely. And you, you, you're you seeing all the people of the town coming together. You see them dancing. And it's a, it's a perfect night. Still Are you still there? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I just heard that. I think you cut out a little bit. Or maybe okay. my signal okay. cut out. Who knows? Oh, yeah. yeah, sometimes it just goes quiet and then I hear it catch up with you in a second, yeah. you know. That's okay. We'll okay. cut that bit out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so unfortunately, our two antagonists are also meeting up at this time. As Sheriff Dullard sits at a bar, muttering out about how weird it would be to kiss a man and feel his stubble. Maybe even feel his muscles against you. His rough hands. What a strange feeling it must be. He has the glass slipper in front of him. And who should pop down at the next bar stool but Virgil? Great. 
the one other person within a thousand kilometers, well, not a thousand kilometers, a hundred kilometers, who can also gripe with him about drag queens and say, you know, I know who has that shoe. Bum, bum, bum. This is where I panicked. <laughs> because again, for some reason, I was, I was not satisfied yet that this movie was going to have a happy ending. I was terrified that something really bad was going to happen. Well, because it, it gives you enough panic to make you believe mm-hmm. that something truly heinous, like SVU level heinous, could happen at any point in this film. And the film... Something especially heinous, yes. Yeah, and the film, to its credit, kind of pulls the rug out from underneath you and says, no, that's that's not... Everybody gets a happy ending here. Mm-hmm. Just this once, Rose, everybody lives. <laughs> because as they ride back into Snyderville, Snyderville that is still all done up for the strawberry social... It feels like an old western. You know, Sheriff Dullard strides in with his enormous gun, which, fun, it's it's an American sheriff. I don't know why I was so off-put by it. Um, well, actually, I do, because it's an enormous gun. It's an enormous gun. <laughs> it's an enormous gun. And he says, bring out your drag queens! <laughs> The traditional greeting. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, and then a large woman cloaked in red steps out and she walks right up to them and she's veiled and we think, oh no, Vita, she's giving herself up for the good of the town. But no, she throws her veil back and it's Dr. Channing! And she says, I'm a drag queen. And then all of the other women come out and they say, I'm a drag queen and I'm a drag queen. And then the rest of the townspeople come out and they all say that they're drag queens. And of course, this infuriates Virgil and Sheriff Dellert, but there's nothing they can do about it. Uh, For a, a movie about drag queens to pull an I Spartacus moment <laughs> and not just pull it but make it emotionally land Mm -hmm. is a tremendous feat. I've seen other films and TV shows do this. And yeah, it's always played for the laugh of, yeah, yeah, it's a Spartacus reference. But it's not a Spartacus reference here. I mean, it is in a way, but that's, the movie doesn't care, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Tremendous, tremendous emotional beat. I, I agree, but I do. My concern is with the fact that the cis people are saving the drag queens at this moment. And yeah, it's a moment of solidarity with their new friends and things like that. But it's it's definitely a clear that this movie has to have cis people be the hero and that's like their reward for coming together and accepting these women um i don't think you would have necessarily seen this movie made in a way where 
Noxima and Chi-Chi and Vita get to be the heroes. And the same way about how these women help the town. It's about the changes that the town and that the women go through, not so much the drag queens themselves. Maybe Chi-Chi, but to a much lesser extent. But I think it's... It's, I think it's very unusual only because Vita and Noxima start off the film as two fully formed people. They don't have mm-hmm. a problem that they need to get over other than Vita maybe trying to reconcile with her family, right? But beyond that, even that's just like a footnote, these two queens are so in charge of who they are, they know exactly what they're about, and there are no problems that they already can't overcome. Oh yeah, I completely agree. It's definitely not the story that they're setting out to tell. Um, But for a story that is ostensibly about drag queens to not have the drag queens sort of be the center of rising action and falling action, I just wanted to highlight that. That it is, in fact, the cis people who end up being the the change here. Fair. I understand that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we get the strawberry social, which is basically a ball. It's a ball. And actually, I got through this whole thing without having La Vie Boheme stuck in my head. But that's exactly what they do. They get up on the tables and they dance, and it's exactly like the La Vie Boheme scene. Oh, I've never seen that. Uh, it's Rent. Oh, I've never seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't see the movie. It's not good. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> Let me put it this way. Um, Rent was a groundbreaking musical about uh, queer characters and people living with HIV and AIDS in the 80s, um, set in the 80s, uh, put on stage in the 90s. And for the movie, they chose the director, Christopher Columbus. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's... It's a choice. It's a choice. It's, a choice. <laughs> it's certainly one that was made for this film. Yes. And we, uh, it's around this time, of course, that Carol Ann fixes the car. Because, of course, she's been married to Virgil all this time. She knows how to fix the car. Uh, she reveals to Vita, just as Vita is about to confess to her. Confess. Um, come out to her, essentially. Um she says, no, I, I knew you were a man all along because only men have Adam's apples. Which isn't true. But, okay, she's loved her the whole time. It's, it's 1995 and also uh, a hick town in the middle of nowhere. I can I can give a slight <laughs> slide to that. Yes. yes. The point the is, point is they, are they are true, true friends. True and... and they love each other and Stalker Channing gets choked up and I just uh, she won't come with them because she still has her girls to raise but they are true friends and as they leave Vita Boem gives her the Julie Newmar picture because it's brought her good luck all this way 
it's such it's a tremendous scene and it's ended with possibly one of my favorite quotes from the film where starker channing calls out to vita and says vita i don't see you as a man or a woman i see you as an angel and vita confident as ever in her vita way puts her hands on her hips and says i think that's healthy It's the same way, like, that could have been the worst line. That could have been, you know what happens when lightning hits a frog or a toad or whatever. But Stalker Channing sells the hell out of it. And Patrick Swayze gives a goddamn performance by being an impeccable drag queen. That could have been in a, like a tear-jerky line from him. And instead, I just think that's healthy. He is incredible in this. It's it's almost a shame that this is not like the perform the performance that he is remembered for because this is incredible from him. And just like Wesley Snipes, this is something that I didn't think he had in him. No, these these are the actors again firing on incredible cylinders that you would not know that they had. Mm-hmm. And so the very last scene is Los Angeles, lots of queens about for the Miss USA pageant, and who should win but our drag princess herself, Miss Chi-Chi, and she has presented the crown by Julie Newmar. Statuesque. Statuesque. And the film ends just on the shot of Julie Newmar happily handing it off gazing beatifically towards our characters and that's it that's to wong fu thanks for everything sarah thanks for everything sam but sarah a, a quick question is to wong fu thanks for everything julie newmar camp I think it has to be. It is a road trip movie about drag queens in which they make over a small town and our fairy godmothers restoring justice. I think it has to be. How about you? Oh yeah, this is camp. Like I said before, this is this isn't a, a film about gay reality so much as it is a gay fantasy. This is this is a fantasy film. And everybody gets the happy ending. Everybody lives. You know, we get to make over a whole town. We get to be accepted by a brand new person. uh, Enrich a bunch of lives. And watch the transformation of all these characters, including Miss Chichi Rodriguez, as she becomes a drag queen. Yeah, it's camp. But it's camp in the best way, because it's so sincere. Yeah, I think I think there's also a counter argument that could be made about the Spielberginess of it and like the sort of Hollywood of it and the fact that our characters are never in real danger and the fact that this is not a movie done on the cheap, you know, like it wasn't a huge budget movie, but I mean, most of it takes place in a small town in Nebraska. Um, probably the most money went for the stars. 
Um, I think there is, think there is a sort of, one could argue a sort of Disneyfication early on of the gay experience here, but overall, I I don't think that's ultimately a compelling argument, but it's one I can't completely ignore. Yeah, I, in terms of the Spielberginess, A, yes, we see the Spielberginess for very specific reasons, but B, I mean... Where would we be without a Spielberg anyway, right? There's a reason we say Spielberginess, yeah. and every once in a while, you know what? You need that. Your soul needs that. Your heart needs that, right? It's schlock. We know he's yeah. manipulating us, but God damn it, if he's, <laughs> yeah. if he's not a really good manipulator. He's, he's the best in the business at what he does. Yeah, there's very good reason. Like... Like I've said before about the movie AI, I know it's a garbage movie. I know it is the most heartstring-pulling thing it, it could ever design. I fall for it every yeah. time. Every single time. And we wouldn't be talking about him this way if he wasn't good at it. No. no. So thank you for joining us today on our exploration of Tu Wong Fu. Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice. Leave a star rating and review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is. Yes. And next week, as we enter into week three of our uh, coverage of Pride Month, we will be discussing, this is a little bit different, Little Nas X. Yes. Uh, um, one of the most exciting musical performers I think out there and somebody with some real staying power that I think has shocked a lot of people with his staying power and it's the right kind of shock the shock that we all want yeah it's the opposite of a milkshake duck no, I, is there a phrase for the opposite of a milkshake duck? What's the opposite of a milkshake and what's the opposite of a duck? Oh, so the phrase milkshake duck comes from a tweet where it's something like um, uh, the internet is has fallen in love with milkshake duck, the duck that loves to drink milkshakes. One week later, we regret to inform you that milkshake duck is racist. And it's the idea of whenever the internet embraces somebody like like Ken Bone. Ken Bone is a classic milkshake duck where uh, everybody thought he was just like this funny, goofy looking dude. And then they discovered, oh, he actually has like this history of saying really racist things. Mm, that's a milkshake duck. That's a duck. milkshake duck. And so far, Little Nas X has not been a milkshake duck. If anything, I've just become more and more endeared to him. Exactly, exactly. Uh, so until the day that Little Nas X uh, milkshake ducks himself, I shall be watching his career with great interest. <laughs> Don't be spooky. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> hey, if Ian McDiarmid in Phantom Menace isn't camp, I'll eat my milkshake duck. <laughs> Please do. It's been saying racist things on Twitter. <laughs> anyway you our campers can continue the discussion on our twitter and our instagram i am at crease indigo all one word wait didn't i already do this earlier today yes i did but who cares i'm doing it again crease indigo all one word r-h-y-s spelled the welsh way 
got it. Calaboonwood, spelled the Welsh way. And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Um, I know that a number of people are leaving Twitter right about now. You can also find us on Instagram. I know, I know. Um, until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. You know, I think that's healthy. <laughs> Okay. Not too kind. No, not the way you do it.